turn to Psalm 51 this morning, and we'll read that psalm to the chief musician, Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it, Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. The word of God that we consider and focus on this morning is verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, it is essential this morning that we understand, be reminded of the fact that what we have before us is the confession of a repentant sinner, that the confession we have before us, therefore, is the work of God through the Holy Spirit 
in the heart of a child of God, forgiven by God on the basis of the work of Christ yet to come. This is not the confession of the natural man, obviously, who does not acknowledge God, nor is it, we must see, the confession even of the human nature of a child of God. For the natural man and our own nature as regenerated children of God, our own human nature is a liar and will never confess this. This text teaches us that confession is an essential aspect of repentance. That without confession, confession as we have it in this text, there is no repentance. This text teaches it is also an essential aspect of forgiveness. Without confession, there is no forgiveness. That's why David himself asks for forgiveness and then confesses his sin and even says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. The confession also that he sinned against God and God only is an essential element of confession. Any confession of sin that does not acknowledge I have sinned against God only is no confession at all. It is confession of this that is what makes sin so great. What makes so sin so great is that it is against God. This is a confession even of what essentially makes sin against the neighbor sin at all. We don't sin against the neighbor. We speak that way. But what makes our actions against the neighbor sin is because it's sin against God. And so we must see that. This is the Word of God. This isn't even David in his own human nature speaking. This is God speaking through him. This is the Spirit speaking in him. We as natural men are liars. We're only interested in our actions as they are judged by men. We're only interested in what we think about our actions or what others think about our actions. We think, when regard to sin, perhaps only of our neighbor. We even read this text and we say, how can that be true? Did not David sin against his neighbor? Or we are only concerned about what others think about what we did. The important, indeed essential thing, really the only thing that is of concern, is God. Consider with me this morning confessing sin only against God. Only against God. The reality of that, the significance of that, and finally the purpose of that. 
The confession in this particular psalm teaches us a lot, much, about the nature of sin, about confession, about repentance, and about forgiveness. Any talk, any theology, any discussion, any decisions about sin and confession and forgiveness that does not reckon with this text is not worth considering. This is the place we go. This is the place God has given us in Scriptures to learn much. We learn much by simply asking this morning a simple question about this text. Whether or not what David says is true. Is it true? Yes or no? Simple question. That he sinned only against God. Now that's a important question to ask because even as the heading itself shows, it refers to a specific sin here. The sin of adultery, the sin of murder. This is a man who sinned against a woman, Bathsheba. And he sinned especially against her husband, Uriah. He took and he used his wife. And then he murdered a man. And a man who had given his life for David was among the mighty men that David entrusted the care and protection of his kingdom. Did he not sin against them? Did he not sin against all of Israel over which he was king and he was judge, the judge of righteousness? Did he not sin by being a terrible example and sin also by giving a multitude of enemies occasion to blaspheme Israel. See? Look at those people. Look at that church. Perhaps even when we read this confession, we think immediately that this confession is disrespectful toward Bathsheba and Uriah. And a sign of an unrepentant man we all know that a sign of true repentance, in fact, we may call it a requirement of true repentance, is that one confesses his sins to the neighbor against whom he sinned. And that without that, you have no confession. This is why sometimes a consistory requires that that be done publicly and must always insist that before they reconcile a sinner publicly to God, that sinner has reconciled himself to the neighbor against whom he sinned. We also might ask that question because we know sinners who will claim to be reconciled with God who will claim they have confessed their sin to God and have no interest whatsoever in confessing their sin 
to the neighbor against whom they sin. Or they try to present that which is no confession at all. So we ask, is this really true? We may not say what he says is false. We may not simply explain away what the psalmist says here. The Spirit will not allow it. It's easy to do. We might do that when we say, well, he means he sinned against Uriah too. And he, he means he sinned against Bathsheba too. He, he means really that his sin is greater against God. That's why he says, says he sinned against No. He means what he says. When I analyze what I have done, when I analyze what I have done in the light of God's Word, I sinned against God and lest we want to minimize what he's about to say, he repeats it, against God and God only. And that is the truth that we have to reckon with this morning. The truth is that although we do speak of sinning against the neighbor, the fact is that all sins are only against God. The fact is, what we do against the neighbor that we call sin is sin only because it's against God. If it's not against God, then it's not sin. His murder and adultery was not sin except for the fact that by those actions he sinned against God. And if he sins, against, if he sins not against God, there's no need for confession, there's no need for repentance, there's no need for forgiveness. None of it. This is the truth. This is the truth over against men which are all liars. And we see that truth all around us. You see that truth in the world, do you not? We live in a world that will not have God, will not acknowledge God, will not serve God. Ask yourself, how is it that the world can approve the most heinous and wicked crimes you can imagine? The murder of unborn children in abortion wholesale divorce and remarriage can approve vile homosexuality. Ask how that is. And the answer is they're not sins against God. Not in the eyes of the world. But we can see the same thing in the church. Consistories can receive that which is no confession at all. Individuals will go around telling everybody that what they did is not sin. It's not sin. They may have sinned against all kinds of people. But it's not sin. Why? Because I don't view it as sin. People can be forced to accept confessions that are no exception. You see it in the church too. And I can assure you that if there is a problem in the church and it deals with what we consider to be sin or not sin, it goes on even when we justify sins, the behavior of individuals. We want to sweep it under the rug or we bristle when someone calls it sin. The issue always is the same. We do not look at behavior as God looks at it. And therefore, we do not consider even the confession that our sin, our behavior is against God and God only. It's the fact that our behavior, our sin is against God, that is, which makes it so evil and wicked. When an individual can justify the abuse of another 
individual, a neighbor, or an individual can justify schism in the church, then the trouble is they don't see that sin as sin against God. They don't see it as against God at all. But it's only when we view our behavior in the light of God that we can see it for what it is as evil and wicked. David's sin was not an attack against Uriah and Bathsheba. It was an attack against God. Bathsheba and Uriah were only the means by which he accomplished that. David went to war with God. David went to war with the being and the perfection of God. David, when he did what he did, said, I don't care what you think, God. I don't care what you say in your word about my life. What's important is what I think. What's important is what I do. When he violated the marriage bed, he violated the holiness of God who said, this is what holiness is. When he snuffed out Uriah's life, he said, this is what I think of life, God. This is what I think of your gift. There's the problem. Ask yourself, why did he do what he did? And the answer is, he never considered his behavior as it was before God. This, beloved, must be the knowledge of our sin this morning. Our sins against our brother, our sister, our wife, our church, our children, our parents, whatever they may be are in attack on God. Our rebellion against the authority of parents or authority of elders, our warring with our spouse, our ongoing battles with brothers and sisters in the congregation, our evil speaking about one another behind their back, holding a grudge, committing adultery, doing drugs, having idols of all kinds. It is against God. All of it. Our spending so much time on ourselves, pleasing ourselves, thinking about ourselves, working for ourselves, and neglecting His Word, failing to pray, only going through the motions simply being a member of the church in name only. Those are sins against God. When it comes to confession, we learn something here. Leave yourself out of sight. Leave even the neighbor out of sight. Begin with God. What matters is God. Against thee, the only, have I sinned. It's essential. The significance of this is this, that it's only when the sinner recognizes that his sin is only against God that he will seek repentance and forgiveness for that sin. That's the simple truth of the matter. Why is that? Why is it that if I will not recognize that my sin is against God, well, we don't really even need to finish that, do we? It should be obvious. Where do we go for repentance? Who alone can forgive us? The answer is God. 
Well, how in the world can you do that if you don't recognize that your sin is against God? And only against God, really. You see, it's only then that we really understand the evil of our deeds, the wickedness of our deeds, the vileness of what we've done. And it's only when we feel that heavy burden of guilt that we go to God. David, David knew. David knew the harm he did to Uriah. David knew the harm he had done to Bathsheba. But he didn't confess his sin, did he? In fact, you know he didn't even confess his sin with regard to Uriah and Bathsheba, did he? It was only as the heading tells us when Nathan the prophet came to him and impressed upon him this one thing. You sinned against God and brought it to him in a very remarkable way, an unmistakable way. It's only then that he felt the guilt of those sins. Oh, the guilt was there before. The guilt weighed heavy upon him, but he didn't acknowledge it. Blamed it on all kinds of other things, I'm sure. What he was experiencing, his bones being broken and his depression and everything else, I'm sure he blamed on all kinds of things. Probably sought all kinds of relief from it in all sort of other directions. But the problem was, he wouldn't acknowledge what it really was, was guilt. Because he refused to acknowledge that he had sinned against God. reason for this is that it's only when we confess our sins against God and God alone that we have the awareness that not only is God the offended party, there may be all kinds of other offended parties too, but the offended party is God, but also He's the judge. Oh, there may be other judges, there may be others who want to weigh in on our behavior. There will be plenty of people that say, okay, there will be plenty of people that maybe even condemn it. But the judge of my behavior is God, and I will never recognize that. I will never admit that until I admit and confess that I have sinned against God alone, that it's His courtroom that matters. It's His decision that matters. It's His verdict that is the decisive thing. I need to be brought to the understanding and the knowledge that God sees my deeds. And God sees them in regard to Himself. All kinds of other people may not understand that I've attacked God, but God does. All kinds of other people may say, oh, you're not really harming your neighbor. That's really not that hurtful. This is something we can live with and tolerate, but not God. God sees everything in relationship to Himself. He measures everything according to the standard of Himself. And He speaks. He says something. It's only then, too, that I have the, the awareness that I also personally stand before God, this judge, and understand that God sees me in relationship to my behavior. That is, when God looks at me, God doesn't simply judge my behavior and say, this is sin and that's sin in the abstract, but He sees the sinner. 
You have done these things. You have attacked me. You have harmed me. You've dirtied my name and been the occasion for blasphemy. You've done this. David, you will never acknowledge that. You will never admit that. Unless you understand, I have sinned against God and God only. You see, that makes our position precarious, dangerous, doesn't it? Serious. It means I'm personally guilty before God of the most heinous wickedness. Even when anybody else might not know, might not see. Maybe everybody else is saying, you haven't done anything. You're forgiven. We receive you. No. No. The important thing is how the sinner stands before God, whether he acknowledges it or no. And confession of sin acknowledges it. That must, too, be a part of our confession this morning, that all of our thoughts and all of our words and all of our deeds, all of it, even those things that we direct against each other, even those things that everybody else might think are of no account, even those things that are never seen or known about, all of it appears before God. All of it is seen by God. You see, that's the problem, isn't it? What we are as sinners, what we are as natural men and women, even regenerated ones, what we're really only concerned about is others. We're only concerned about what others think and what others say. The great question is not what do others see and what do they think, but what about God? That was David. For a long time, David was only concerned with what others saw, what others thought, what others judged. And so he hid it. He hid it from the people. If only he could keep it from light. If only he could keep it from them. If only he could keep others from really knowing what he did. And in the meantime, he added sin upon sin and guilt upon guilt. And now he realizes that none of that was ever important. Didn't matter if he was the king or not. The important thing is what did God see? What does God know? And how does God judge? Our concern this morning is I have sinned in thy sight. I have sinned before God and no one else. That's the important thing. You see, your approval can't save me, and neither really can your condemnation. It doesn't matter in the final analysis, really. Child of God lives before God. It's an entirely different matter with regard to Him. He sees what I have done in the dark of night, the things that I'm able to hide from everybody else. He sees in a different light the things that everybody else sees and may issue judgment on. I may keep things hidden until the day I die. But what matters is what does God see and how does God judge? What's the purpose? 
What's the purpose for this confession? Well, what's amazing here too is the purpose of the psalmist isn't really the desire for his own salvation or forgiveness. That's an important part of it, of course. He says so. He says so in the beginning in a rather shocking way. Forgive me, O Lord, for I acknowledge my transgression. And that's what he's doing. It might be shocking to us. He recognizes the relationship between forgiveness and confession. That there's an inseparable connection there. But notice his concern, his purpose, his goal is God. That too is the mark of a true confession. That's brought out when he says that, that there is a purpose cause. For this reason, for this reason acknowledge that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. What does he mean? To understand what he means, we, we have to acknowledge here too that this is not the purpose when we often make confession, is it? Consistories are called the judge confessions. We judge confessions, and there's all kinds of confessions that we present as sinners. Many a sinner will try to put off confessing to those whom they sinned against by saying, well, I, I sinned against God only. They even appeal to this text. And therefore, that's all that matters. That's all that's good. But the fact is they have not confessed their sin to God. That's demonstrated by the fact that they don't really care about confessing to their neighbor or what they confess to their neighbor. Well, let's put it this way. If what they confess to their neighbor is actually what they confess to God, then they haven't confessed to God. And if you ask the reason why sometimes confessions are received that are no confessions, why it can sometimes happen where a consistory says this person's confessed their sins, they're forgiven, all of you accept it. And that's not true. Didn't really happen. Or why we can go around, for example, justifying all sorts of evil deeds. Well, it's not that bad, it's not a big deal. You know there's other sins over here and there and everywhere else. It happens all the time. We justify those things that are clearly sin. We can't say, this is sin against God. The real reason is because we don't even understand the purpose of confession, which is about God. It's not about me. Well, the result will have something to do with me, and, and yes, <laughs> amazing things happen. David will testify to that. He'll speak of that in the psalm. But it's about God. What he means is that God will be righteous in His speaking and true in His judgments. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean there that God isn't. What he's talking about is that it's about God. It's when God condemns me. And when I confess that my sin is against God, that we see God is righteous in His speech and pure in His judgments. You see, who speaks? Who is speaking? When we examine a sin, is it you speaking, me speaking, a consistory speaking, an individual speaking? And the answer is yes, far too often. But let's hear God speak. We need to hear God speak. God says, I'm going to tell you 
what that behavior was. I'm going to tell you what it is. Not you. You shut up. You be quiet. Silence to everyone else. You're all liars. Let me speak. And that behavior is vile. It is wicked. It is terrible. You have sinned against me. You've sinned against your neighbor too. You see? See? Here's where God comes in. It's God who says, you've not only harmed and hurt me, you've harmed and hurt the other. You see, God's judgment is in the first place His condemnation. What man wants is, I want to hear God forgive me. That's, what I, that's all I want to hear. I'm not interested in word of condemnation. I'm not interested in hearing what God really thinks of me. Well, you can't have one without the other. God speaks. And when He speaks even His word of condemnation, the sinner says, yes, that, that's righteous and that's true. That's indeed what I have done. That's who I am. It tells you something about what repentance looks like, what repentance really is. It's true of us when we become repentant. We're not concerned about escaping judgment or really even finding forgiveness with God as such. And when we are, something's wrong. When we can only squeak out a few things, when we can only admit a few things, when our prayers to God about that which we have done are so shallow and trite, what's the problem? The problem is we aren't concerned about the righteousness of God at all. That's our problem. We would just soon bury it and get rid of it. But the sign of repentance, the sign that God has worked repentance, is when the sinner who's condemned and damned by God, when God comes along and says, guilty, the sinner says, amen. Doesn't bristle. Say, you make too much of my sin. That wasn't really abuse. That wasn't really adultery. That really wasn't schism. That really isn't adultery. It isn't really murder. That's not repentance. Repentance is that when God comes along and says, you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you violated her, and you've sinned against me. And the sinner says, amen. How can that be? And the answer is because that's not the only thing that God reveals in His judgment, you see. That's the other judgment that David is concerned about. He understands you can't have one without the other. You can't have justification without condemnation. But you will never understand or admit the condemnation of God unless you have the forgiveness of God and know where you find it. And that too, he desires. He goes before God and says, I have sinned, and sinned really, truly only against you, God. Why? Because he knows that this same God is the only one who can say, David, you're forgiven. And there too, that's really the only word he cares to hear. Yes, it would be good, I'm sure, if he could have heard Uriah say, I forgive you too, David. I believe in that same Jesus Christ, and even though you put me in the grave, you did me great harm, I forgive you, David. David never did give a chance to apologize to him, which I'm sure he would have done if he had not killed the man. 
And I have no doubt he apologized for his sin against Bathsheba. Probably did that when God took their child at birth. And I'm sure he would have received her forgiveness and did, or Uriah's, but what mattered most is God. It doesn't matter if I forgive you. It doesn't really matter if the consistory forgives you. It doesn't matter if your neighbor forgives you. Not really. Because, you see, we can fool people. People are fickle. I can commit some pretty heinous sins. I can say some pretty ugly things and wicked things. And I might even get a crowd that says, yeah, yeah, your schism is justified. I might even get a crowd that says, yeah, yeah, it's okay to do that to your wife. She is, after all, part of the problem. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay what you said. I, I understand. I've done the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. This is the same people then that can forgive us. And yeah, there's times when that's important, I suppose, and decisive even. After all, what a consistory says about sin and confession and repentance is heard in heaven. But in the end, all are fallible and men are liars. And we can only be partial judges. And so not only do we confess sin with an interest in vindicating the name of God, saying God is just, God is right, God is holy, when He says this is condemned, this is sin. And we may never overlook that. Far too often that's skipped. Far too often in consistory rooms and in meetings and with speech with one another, we want to rush in and just forgive. Here, we overlook, we forgive. We're not even going to talk, we're not even going to condemn it. We're not even going to say, we're not even going to say what God would say. Well, that's sad, because then you don't really bring this person before God, do you? And the sad thing about then is, what about then the interest of God's forgiveness? What is the man here who will not even acknowledge his sin? What's he really doing? Is he forgiven? Is he justified? Well, how can he be? In his mind, he hasn't sinned. If you ask him about this behavior, he'll say, well, I was justified in what I did. It was okay what I did. There were, there were all kinds of sins. Sins in others and, and sins here. And, and there was falseness going on and that mistake over there. I'm justified in what I do. Do you know what she did to me? Do you know what's going on over there? That's going to be the answer. That is the answer. That is really the answer given to God. It's okay what I did. Then you only hear God's condemnation. And when you hear it, that's going to be your answer too. You see, the important word of God is, you're forgiven. I've heard. Is that why not God does what he does? Because that's a part of it, you see. David understood what was going on. He's going to talk about that. We'll have time to talk about that. Who, who broke his bones? <laughs> Did David break his bones? No, God broke his bones. God did it. God is the one who drove David to his knees to acknowledge who he had sinned against. And that so that he might also then hear and receive the word of God, David, you're forgiven. That too, beloved, 
must be part of our confession this morning and the reason we make it. It's for God. It's about God. And we want God to be righteous even in that because you understand what's here, do you not? You see, we like the idea of a God that forgives on the same reasons we do and the same basis. We begin to think that. Why, you have to forgive me because I've confessed. You, you, you have to let this go because of this or that or whatnot. But you, you can't think that here. When God forgives you, why does He forgive you? How can He forgive you? How can He forgive you after what you did to Him? Why does He work so hard to bring us to that? And the answer because that's what He thinks about sin. But that's also what He thinks about you. God didn't do this for His Son's sake. God did this for your sake. You see? And you cannot receive the forgiveness from God. You cannot hear it. You cannot understand it unless you understand what it took for God to say that. The love of God to do that. Because when God forgives us, when God forgives you, and when you hear Him say, you're forgiven, what you're doing is drawn to the cross, and you realize God can only say that because all of those sins He heaped on His Son. And if you want to know what He thinks about your sin and what He thinks, it's right there. It's right there. Let that be the word that lives in our heart this morning as we partake of the Lord's table. Amen.